Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. Hey, welcome to the program. Ten minutes after nine o'clock. Yeah, we're a little bit late getting started today, but uh, we appreciate uh, you tuning in on a weird weather day in southern Utah. We actually had a, a few little teeny snow flurries driving in this morning. It was still dark, but they were illuminated by my headlights. And now we've got rain and snow mixed uh, forecasted for today. Right now, it's just kind of cold and and cloudy. Very un Saint George. Like, welcome to the program. I've got a special guest on the show today. His name is Lawrence W., but we call him Larry. Larry Reed. Larry, thank you for coming on the show today. Hey, my pleasure, Andy. Now, uh, I, I uh, actually found uh, found you now. I was reading uh, one of my favorite uh, websites, uh, the uh, FEE.org, which stands for? Foundation for Economic Education. That's right. That that's uh, that's one of your babies there. And I was reading a story about heroes, and uh, the need for modern day heroes more, maybe more than ever now. And I uh, was looking at the author, and uh, it was uh, it was it was you, it was Larry Reed, and I was uh, I, I had actually had an interview with Brian Hyde later that morning, and I mentioned the article, and he says, "Oh yeah, I, I know Larry," and I was like, "What? You know Larry? Well, you know, how can I get a hold of him? Let's get him on the radio show." But I guess you you know Brian Hyde. Oh, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I was uh, in St. George to give a speech uh, just a month and a half ago. <laughs> really? I missed yeah. it. Man, I, I wish I would have known about it. I would have loved to have gone to that. Now, uh, Larry is very a very prolific writer. He also gives speeches and uh, does podcasts and radio, all kinds of stuff. But, uh, Larry, I, I'm interested in the uh, the writing part of things. I, I have been a writer my whole life, but not with the, the success that you have found. What what got you into writing? Did, is it something you're like, okay, I'm, I, I guess I'm pretty good at it. I'll keep doing it. <laughs> Well, I started, uh, believe it or not, as a writer, uh, writing letters to the editor. No <laughs> kidding. Back, uh, yeah, <laughs> in my teenage years, uh, when I was uh, living in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, mm. where I was born, and uh, you know, I became uh, very active uh, at an early age on behalf of things like individual liberty and against uh, the tyranny of uh communist and socialist regimes around the world so this is like the like the late 60s early 70s yeah 1968 the uh, invasion of czechoslovakia by the uh, soviets was what really uh got me up and running and Mm -hmm. so i started writing things about that most uh, teenagers are thinking about you know girls and sleeping and nowadays video games and their and their iPhone. But uh, you were thinking about more than that when you were a teenager. Why was that? Well, uh, I have often thought about this and tried to determine what, what were the uh, <laughs> seeds that were planted and when yeah. and by whom that may have blossomed in my interest in in liberty. And I think it was because my mother uh, took me to see uh, the movie The Sound of Music okay. in 1966. I was only 12 years of age, and I didn't want to go, but she said it was a true story and I should know about it. And, and uh, for me, I think looking back, it was the first time I learned that there were people in the world who... Um, don't live with the degree of freedom that we have here. And so I started reading about the history of pre-World War II and just became fascinated by uh, 
the history of people resisting tyranny. I, I can picture it in my mind, a teenager. Uh, you want me to go to a musical, Mom? Are you serious? Yeah, exactly, Do I have yeah. to? But the message, the, the messages in uh, the Sound of Music, is, 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 as fun as it was as a musical, had it was very poignant, very real stuff going on with the with the Nazi regime. Oh, absolutely, and it still fascinates me that whole period uh, to this day. And so, you know, a couple of years later, when the Soviets invaded Czechoslovakia. Uh, that piqued my interest. It wasn't Austria where the movie was set, but it was right next door, yeah. and uh, I took a keen interest in it. Now, uh, you just published an article yesterday talking about a lady by the name of Dorothy Thompson, and it, it's funny. You, you talk about flame, fame and it being fleeting. I'll bet you, you I think you said 80%. I would say probably 98% of people nowadays, you say Dorothy Thompson, they'd go, who? Ne- never heard of her. Yeah, and that's a shame because she was known in her day as the first lady of American journalism. Hmm. She was syndicated in 170 newspapers, read by something like 8 million Americans every week. Uh, And she was the first American journalist to interview Adolf Hitler and the first uh, journalist to be thrown out of Nazi Germany. <laughs> that, that could almost be a, a badge, of, uh, badge of courage there, to be thrown out of Nazi Germany. Yeah, it, uh, but, it but, was. He did, he did not like what she wrote about him. <laughs> but then this was a time, too, where women weren't really supposed to be doing all that stuff. They were supposed to be home, you know, uh, raising the kids and, and, and making lasagna and things like that. And here she is out there kind of conquering the world a little bit. Yeah, it really uh, was quite amazing. Uh, She was ahead of her time in so many ways. Not only was she uh, uh, prolific as a journalist and on the scene early in some of the world's hot spots of uh, the 1920s and 30s, but she was also um, uh, just a keen uh, understander, you might say, uh, of uh, uh, personal character. She saw through Hitler right from the start, although she underestimated uh, his ability to come to power. She thought he was a nut who wouldn't go anywhere. She was wrong on that, but uh, but she really uh, blistered him later when uh, he took power. Yeah, I, I think one of the uh, one of her one of the the things she said about him was it, it was as as if he had no bones. He was it was all cartilage and it was just like this big lump of a caricature. <laughs> yeah, she really had a way with words, and she was in her day the most uh, quotable. American journalist. She was cited all the time in newspapers and uh, on radio because of uh, how prolific she was and how trenchant she could be in her criticism or how um, uplifting she could be on the positive things she wrote about. When, when I think about, you know, the article and the book that you've written about real heroes, uh, it strikes me that a lot of these heroes are, are not I mean, we think of a hero, we think of a guy running into a burning building and bringing a baby out, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah. a hero, you know. Uh, but, but these were people that maybe didn't do one act in particular, but did their lifetime represented heroic causes. They were like the first of their kind. I, I think about Dorothy Thompson and, and how she was really the first, in my mind at least, the first woman to really seize hold of the, the media business and, and, and turn it into a little bit of a pulpit for her. Yeah, in in my book, when I uh, sat down to decide uh, who I would write about, and there are 40 chapters in the book, Real Heroes, each one about a different person, uh, I decided early that I would focus uh, almost exclusively on people who are not well-known but deserve to be better known. So I didn't pick the 
best-known heroes like George Washington, uh, people uh, that uh, everybody knows about. I wanted to pick the ones that uh, deserve a lot more attention than they do. And if I ever do a sequel, uh, part two, I think Dorothy Thompson uh, may be a chapter in it. Yeah, definitely a hero. Let's talk about some of the heroes in your book. Again, by the way, the book is very reasonably priced on Amazon. It's called Real Real Heroes. Lawrence W. Reed is the author. Uh, And I, I again, wanted to talk about some of these heroes, people that were groundbreakers, not not the run into the building, uh, bring the baby out type heroes, but people that broke ground. I'm a, I've been a sports writer most of my life. Roberto Clemente was the first one that stood out to me. Tell us a little bit about why Roberto Clemente was in your book and is a real hero. Yeah, Roberto Clemente was a remarkable guy. Uh, and growing up in western Pennsylvania, uh, only 20 miles from Pittsburgh, as I did, uh, I heard his name all the time because he, he uh, played for the Pittsburgh Pirates primarily uh, uh, was a right fielder, but he could play any position and do it well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I heard his name all the time. I was a big fan. And uh, not only was he a great ball player, he was a wonderful man on a personal level. He uh, would use his downtime to train uh, young uh, boys in uh, baseball, often doing that back in his native Puerto Rico in poor neighborhoods. Um, and unfortunately, uh, he lost his life. But it was in a very valiant effort to uh, relieve uh, victims of the Nicaraguan earthquake of 1972. He, uh, uh, at his own expense, chartered uh, a plane to carry uh, supplies uh, multiple times uh, to the Nicaraguans. And he got upset one time when he realized that the the government there was confiscating some of the materials and giving Mm -hmm. it instead to some of their cronies. So he went on the next flight himself to make sure it got there, and uh, but it unfortunately went down in the Caribbean, and uh, we never have determined what the cause of that crash was. But he was just a wonderful man from start to finish. Roberto Clemente, and uh, yeah, still to this day holds a bunch of uh, Major League Baseball records and uh, was, uh, was a guy that uh, he didn't, he put his money where his mouth is. So often we hear uh, modern-day athletes and stars, and they use their fame as their pulpit for this, that, or the other thing. But when it comes right down to actually doing something about it, well, you know, I, I gave some money. I'm good. Uh, Clemente, he was, a, he was a hands-on kind of a guy. He was, and he, he wouldn't uh, rush out and hold a news conference to tell the world, hey, look what I did. Aren't I a hero? Uh, you know, one of the great traits of real heroes, in my view, is that they do their work with a sense of humility. They don't do it for uh, fame or fortune. And certainly that was the case of Roberto Clemente. He quietly assisted uh, whoever he could uh, who was in need, and he didn't uh, do it for reasons of uh, getting public attention. Or, or, I mean, he didn't write books so he could cash in on what he did. Um, he really was the genuine article. Before we get into a couple of other heroes, I wanted to talk about, so you have an article on FEE.org uh, right now, and, and I, think it, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's important to point out why uh, you wrote this book, kind of what, what the need was, because, and you point out very succinctly that we are really getting a little too, um, I don't know, a little too mean, is that the right word? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of nastiness out there these days, more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And it is in uh, 
various walks of life. It isn't just in one one area. Politics, uh, of course, we see it all the time. It, it has just degenerated into such a nasty and uh, en- endless uh, dust up with people calling each other names and uh, doing all all, ki- all kinds of things that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, you know, your parents would have uh, put you in a corner for, yeah. uh, washed your m- mouth out with soap. Yeah. But um, these days, uh, you know, it, all over the country, we're finding that uh, there's a, a sense of nastiness and personal character assassination, cancel culture. All of that stuff is uh, just uh, awful for uh, our liberties and for civility in society. What can we do, in your opinion, to... Uh I don't know, combat this. Uh, I, I, you know, I actually, I did a show the other day and my dad who listens to my show religiously uh, sent me a text and we had a discussion later. He says, I absolutely completely disagree with both of your major points on your show. And I said, well, well, that's good because what it is is we have completely different opinions on these couple of things. And yet he's still my dad. I still love him. We still get along and, and we agree with uh, about most of it. But the, the main point was we were, could civilly actually have a difference of opinion. That seems to be rare nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, um, uh, it's disappearing in part because of the rise of social media. Mm. Uh, now I use it. I use social media myself. So, uh, you know, it's not all bad. There are some things about it that I think are great, but it does allow people sort of anonymously or at least from a distance to say some things about people or to people that they wouldn't if they were standing next to them yeah. and uh, and get away with it. And I think that uh, incentivizes bad behavior in some ways. Uh, but maybe for other reasons, too. We've just become uh, a much coarser culture. Uh, and uh, it really, to reform that, I think we have to start with ourselves. You can't reform the world until you are a very good example yourself. So if there's room in your life, uh, to improve the way you behave towards others, to improve your character. And I don't think there's a person in the world that can't uh, improve their character. Then I would start working on that and then work on those around you, your family in particular, uh, and by serving as a great example for them and teaching them the, uh, uh, the elements of strong character. We're talking about heroes, but uh, we mentioned a villain here. Social media can be a villain at times. Are there other villains out there that make heroes more necessary, Larry? Well, I think uh, cancel culture certainly uh, Mm. has worked decisively against uh, uh, both our personal liberties and our civility. Uh, this idea that you, uh, you know, go all in against somebody and uh, no holds barred, and even if they're just wrong on one thing, uh, you've kind of canceled them out, shut them, up, shut them down, shut them up. Uh, that, that stuff is uh, really dangerous uh, to, to individual liberty. It's the way tyrants typically come to power and retain their power. Uh, so we should be much more tolerant, I think, much more open-minded uh, towards those who may have disagreements with us. You mentioned also one of the other things you talked about was uh, a lot of times someone who, who is evil will justify whatever means they use because of the end. or Their end goal is this. So it doesn't matter if I step on a few toes or, or you know, hurt a few people or even kill a few people along the way, as long as I get to what I believe is the, the best ending. And that that's, that's pure evil, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. And uh, you've hit the nail on the head, uh, Andy, because you've cited something else that is uh, uh, 
desperately wrong with uh, not just our society, but but much of the world, and that is the rise of moral relativism, the idea that, uh, oh, well, there really aren't any absolutes. Uh, truth isn't something that you can actually determine. Mm. You know, there's his, his truth and her truth instead of the truth. You hear that uh, more these days than ever before. Yeah. Um, and that kind of moral relative, uh, relativism that uh, doesn't hold uh, high uh, standards lasting eternal standards of, of truth, honesty, and, and uh, the other virtues of character is a da- dangerous thing. Let's talk about some of the other heroes. Uh, you know, a lot of people think history, they go back, okay, the first century, you go, uh, I'm going to roll my eyes and take a little nap now. But let's talk about Cicero a little bit in the first century. Yes, uh, actually, first century BC. BC. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so 20, what is it, 2100 years ago. Uh, Cicero uh, was the last of the great defenders of the old Roman Republic. When you think of ancient Rome, often you just think of the empire. That was the second 500-year period. But the first 500 years of ancient Rome uh, was the period of the Republic, when there were considerable liberties. Um, This was the period that America's founders looked to for ideas from habeas corpus to separation of powers to the veto to all kinds of elements that uh, created... Uh, a, a society of relatively limited government and personal enterprise in ancient Rome. Cicero, when he was born in 106 uh, B.C., uh, he quickly noticed as uh, a teenager that uh, a lot of the old virtues were crumbling. And mm-hmm. as he got older, he realized that the things that made Rome so great and so free were being lost uh, by the rise of would-be tyrants and conflict in society, the welfare state, the warfare state, and he spoke out against all of that and did uh, everything that he could to reverse it. And you might say, well, uh, in the end, you know, what difference did he make? Because the republic collapsed and uh, the empire took over uh, for another 500 years afterwards with very little personal liberty. And you could argue that he didn't accomplish what he set out to. He didn't save the republic. But he certainly, 2,000 years later, serves as one of the greatest examples in history of a person who stood up for what he knew to be right and uh, paid uh, for that with his life, and did so willingly. All right, another hero. How about how about Anne Hutchinson? Tell us about her. Yeah, Anne Hutchinson was a remarkable woman in early American history. She sometimes is called America's first feminist, uh, because in the uh, 1600s, in Massachusetts Bay, uh, a colony that was really a theocracy, Uh, She organized public discussion groups that criticized the political and religious leaders for their errors, their intolerance, and um, spoke out in favor of freedoms of speech and freedom of religion. Well, that earned her a conviction in court and excommunication from her church and banishment banishment from the colony. Uh, But it planted seeds of liberty that would help form a new nation a century later. Another hero. Uh, We're talking with Larry Reed, who is the author of Real Heroes, uh, a a historian, a writer, a prolific writer. Uh, Larry, you know, writing as much as you do, is is there a point? I mean, you're 69 years old. You're supposed to be retired and in Cabo or or Cancun or something, aren't you? (laughs) Well, wouldn't that be nice? But, uh, (laughs) no, you know, from my teenage years, uh, advancing ideas of liberty and writing about uh, those ideas has really been my animating focus in life. Uh, And along the way, I ended up um, 
running things, uh, think tanks in various states and what have you. And, uh, of course, I still used my spare time even in those decades to, to write. But now that I'm semi-retired, I finally have the time to do what I've always most enjoyed, and that is uh, writing on these things. So I'm cranking out uh, one to three columns or articles every week, wow. usually on uh, history or economics or economic history. Well, it's nice that you can you can share your talents with us all. It's enjoyable to read. Uh, I've got to take a quick commercial break. You okay to hang around a little bit longer? Oh, yeah, sure. All right, we're talking with uh, Lawrence W. Reed, Larry Reed, here on the Andy Griffin Show. It's 930. We're going to check in with weather and uh, run a couple of commercial breaks, and we'll be back with uh, more with Larry after this. Compelling guests, hot topics, the latest news, always on the Andy Griffin Show. Is there a juicy part in it for me? Right here on News Radio 890, 92.5, KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Hey, welcome back. I'm Andy Griffin, 935 on KDXU. I'm with uh, Lawrence Reed, Larry Reed. Hey, Larry, thanks again for coming on. Uh, where are you at right now, Larry? I am in uh, my home in Noonan, Georgia, which is about an hour southwest of Atlanta. Okay. No snow there? Uh, no, although, believe it or not, we've had it as low as 8 degrees above zero so far this Woo! winter, right before Christmas. Yeah, way wow. down here. Yeah, we've we've been uh, cold, but not that cold. Uh, we are, like I said, like you probably heard me say, we're supposed to get a little snow today, but it never sticks here in St. George. It's funny, once a year we get a storm with, with snow that sticks. All the kids go out and build a snowman, and then the snow melts except for the snowman because of the density of the, the snowman. They stay up for a little while, but they're, they get kind of dirty and gross. So we have, like, ugly, dirty snowmen for a little while in St. George. Oh, well, you know, I uh, like what our founder at the Foundation for Economic Education many decades ago used to say. Uh, anytime the weather was bad uh, and people would be remarking about it, he would say, no, it's a great day. Every day is a great day. And then he would go on to say that that's my way of showing appreciation uh, for the fact that when it comes to the weather, God and not the government is in charge. <laughs> that's right. Good, <laughs> good point. Hey, uh, in you're describing the current political climate. You say lies, deception, and hostility are ever-present. It seems like that is so much true. And it's funny because we don't—I honestly believe—now, we're a very conservative uh, town, very conservative show here. I honestly believe that deep down, people who are have opposite opposing viewpoints of us still want their politicians to be honest. They want, to, want them to be empathetic. They want them to be caring. They want them to be generous. Uh, but it seems like this uh, current political world in which we have— all those attributes are pretty rare. Yeah, and that in my book, uh, I mean, there's so much that could be said about that, but in my book, that is yet another reason uh, to keep government small in the first place, because mm. historically, uh, this is true not just here, but everywhere and at all, all times in history, the bigger government gets, the more it controls uh, a nation's uh, production and income and redistributing uh, from uh, Peter to Paul and so forth, the more that uh, that goes on, the more corrupt it becomes, inherently so, because everybody either wants to get in charge of it to keep it off their backs or get in charge of it to get something from it. And so it becomes inherently nasty, and then what happens is that the best people, the ones that you would most want to serve in government, they begin to say, why would I want to uh, dirty my hands with that. Yeah. And so then you end up with the worst of both worlds, bad people 
in charge of big government, and that's where we're headed, it seems, right now. It, it kind of feels like in order to get elected, a, uh, a politician must kind of prostitute themselves to those uh, special interest groups. They must, uh, I don't, I'm not going to say lie, but maybe uh, hedge the truth a little bit so they can get elected. And even if they start out with the greatest of intentions, well, I'll just get elected and then I'll do good things, uh, they become a little bit tainted. Yeah, and the worst of them, if they sense that uh, people are have become stupid on a lot of things, they cater to that stupidity. I mean, mm. uh, how many times have you seen people f- uh, from the Department of Homeland Security, uh, including the top guy, uh, testify in Congress claiming that uh, everything's under control at the border? <laughs> and uh, and uh. what they're assuming is that people are dumb enough that they'll believe that, that they can get away with that uh, that kind of stuff. And often they do. Uh, there seem to be no repercussions a lot of times for people... Uh, uh, behaving that way and lying through the teeth. You refer to something called the freedom philosophy. Will you explain to people what that means? Yeah. The freedom philosophy uh, is a very broad perspective. I, instead of looking at freedom in its uh, chunks, you know, like uh, freedom of speech or freedom of press, it looks at the total person. Uh, what does it mean to be a free person in a free society? And in my belief, that uh, is so much more than just enjoying certain rights and certain privileges and certain freedoms, uh, but also means that you have to be a person of solid character. You have to respect uh, the lives and the property and the contracts and the choices of your fellow citizens. Uh, You have to stay away from a mentality that says that uh, you're smarter than the next guy, so you should be in charge of his life or you should vote away as income for causes that you think are more appropriate, that kind of thing. You've got to leave people alone. Live and let live. Um, that's the freedom philosophy. Hold yourself accountable for your own decisions. Build yourself up. Don't tear other people down. Hmm. Count your blessings, not the other guys, and be as productive uh, and as compassionate as you can possibly be without using the force of government uh, to get things done. And sadly, unfortunately, a lot of people feel like the only way to build themselves up is to tear others down, and that's uh, exactly opposite of what you're saying. Exactly right, and you see it all the time. Uh, look at the demagoguery on matters of, uh, of class, economic class. You'll find politicians in particular all the time these days uh, crusading against the rich, and uh, it, 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 they make no differentiation between somebody who becomes rich through theft and somebody who becomes rich because he or she has been productive, a good investor, a smart employer, uh, a creator of new wealth. Uh, you know, the kinds of people that you, you want to encourage to, to have more of. But instead, we have presidents who look at such people and say, you didn't build that, as Obama did. Yeah. And uh, just tearing down the entrepreneurial in our midst. See, unfortunately, every single day, even from our, well, not even, maybe especially from our current president who likes to say he didn't do that and he's not good enough for that and it wasn't him. And yeah, it, it gets a little little frustrating at times. I was reading your, your bio a little bit earlier today. Uh, it says you've been to 86 countries and all 50 states on six continents. Uh, you are a well-traveled man, Larry. <laughs> well, I try to be. In fact, that number is up to 87 countries ah. now. 
And I, I'll be going back uh, soon to Poland, which is a country that's very near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll add the Baltic states on that trip because I have not been to those three places. But, uh, yeah, I like to travel and see firsthand what's happening in the world. Aren't there only like 206 countries in the whole world? So you're, you're almost 50%, man. <laughs> yeah, and I'm also about 70, so I probably, if I make it to half of all the countries in the world, I'll be lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do it, man. We'll be rooting for you. Uh, in, in all your travels, I mean, obviously, you've seen every kind of government there is out there, uh, you know, from, from authoritarian governments to, to even empires and dictatorships. Uh, has there been one, besides the United States, I should say, has there been one or two that really stick out in your mind as being, yeah, they're, they're on the right track? Yes, uh, several. Uh, I used to say Hong Kong because it was until the Chinese government in the last decade has really begun to clamp down on them, which is a terrible shame. But mm-hmm. Hong Kong was the freest little enclave in the world for decades. Um, uh, but uh, another place that I really like, especially now that they've tossed out, uh, or, or I should say that uh, their prime minister is leaving, um, uh, is New Zealand. Hmm. Uh, the prime minister there just recently announced she's uh, going to quit. She's, not, she's been bad news, but uh, uh, New Zealand still ranks as one of the top half dozen freest countries in the world. And it's also a very beautiful country, uh, two main islands uh, with all kinds of variety. You've got snow-capped alpine peaks, you've got whale-watching, penguins, uh, glow-worm caves, volcanic activity, boiling mud puddles, wow. <laughs> and uh, good food and lots of Scottish culture uh, in the South Island especially. And I'm Scottish on my dad's side, so I especially appreciate that. I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and I, like most of us, have a bucket list of places I want to go and see. I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't say New Zealand was on the list, but maybe after what you've been saying, maybe I need to put that on the list. Oh, my gosh, it's a cool place. If you like adventure sports... Uh, the South Island in particular is wor- world famous for that. You can do uh, oh, hang gliding, bungee jumping, and I've skydived uh, twice in the South Island wow. at 15,000 feet. And it's just uh, be- a beautiful place to be. Have you done a hot air balloon yet? Oh, yeah, many yeah? times. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. you, uh, you are an adventurous man. All right. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, let's see. Yeah, let's do this. Let's sneak one more quick commercial break in. We'll finish up and talk a little bit more about the books that you have authored, a uh, very prolific author, uh, when we come back. Hold on, everybody. Welcome back. 948. Don't want to waste any time. Let's get Lawrence Reed back in here. Larry Reed, I should say. It's Lawrence W. Reed, technically, if you're looking for him on Amazon. Uh, He has uh, authored quite a few books. Larry, tell us about your books. How many have you written, and how long have you been publishing books? I think it's now at seven or eight, uh, going way back 40 years, I guess, to the first one. I'm primarily an article writer, but mm-hmm. uh, I do write uh, books every every so often. And my re- most recent one uh, came out in 2020. It was called, Was Jesus a Socialist? Mm. And as you might imagine from reading some of my stuff, uh, Andy, the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> and that book <laughs> explains why. The uh, some of the other well yeah let, let's talk about that one for for just a second um, I think a lot of people are like oh, be careful here this is religion we don't want to get sacrilegious we got to be careful how we approach things was that a difficult book to write 
not really, because it was uh, a topic that has been uh, stewing in my mind for a long time. Uh, I'm a Christian, and uh, who also happens to be an economist and a historian, so I looked at the words of Jesus uh, through the lens of an economist to write this book, and um, came away with the uh, pretty firm conclusion that there's nothing that he ever said, nothing ever taught, that would be even remotely compatible with the ethics or the economics of socialism. He never advocated uh, the compulsory redistribution of wealth, never advocated the concentration of political uh, power in, in uh, the government. He never called for government ownership of the means of production. All the things you uh, associate with socialism, yeah. uh, he never called for once. In fact, if he came back today and spoke to a large audience, and if he asked the audience, okay, you know, I said uh, you should be mindful of the poor, uh, what have you done on that issue? And if you raised your hand and said, well, I voted for the politicians who said <laughs> they'd take care of that, I think he'd be dreadfully disappointed in yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, some of your other books, one of them's called Excuse Me, Professor. Uh, yes. <laughs> we've talked a lot about on this show the fact that it seems like uh, the education, the, the uh, groups of uh, higher learning in this state, in this country, have become a bastion of liberalism. Is, is that what this book's about? Yeah, I felt that uh, students in particular needed ammunition uh, to do battle in the classroom with their professors, uh, who overwhelmingly these days in academia uh, tend to be uh, left-leaning uh, and usually uh, don't share with students what the other side is all about. So students come out of colleges routinely these days not even knowing what the other side of this or that important issue is. Uh, so I thought, well, in one book, we'll, I'll deal with uh, 52, I think I have, one, one for every week of the year, 52 misconceptions or uh, untruths about freedom and free markets uh, to try to straighten the record and give students or anybody, really, the ammunition they need to uh, defend those positions uh, in the face of uh, opposition from socialists and uh, progressives and people of that persuasion. I think that's sorely needed. I know, I, I mean, we've heard a story time and again where you send your kid off to college, they believe a lot of what mom and dad believe. They come home and they say, Mom and Dad, I think you're wrong. And you say, why? Well, my professor told me you were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's happens all the time, and I, I, I've heard so many sad stories from parents who um, feel as though their, their children have been completely brainwashed uh, at college, and they can't reach them. Uh, they need to be deprogrammed because they've uh, you know, become religiously uh, of one left-wing persuasion now on everything. That happens all too often. Another book that Larry authored is called Great Myths of the Great Depression. Uh, a lot of folks now, I mean, that's been 100 years, right? 100-plus uh, yeah. years. A lot of folks think the Great Depression, well, that's a big piece of history that doesn't really concern me. Tell us about some of the myths and what we believe to be true that isn't necessarily true. Yeah, and this is a good example of uh, an important historical event that students these days are uh, uh, misdirected about. They, they come out of colleges thinking, oh yeah, the Great Depression was a failure of capitalism and the free market, and uh, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, saved us, and we need big government to prevent those things from happening again. Hmm. Nothing could be further from the truth. And in that uh, uh, relatively short little uh, book, I explained that the, uh, the Great Depression came our way because of the 
uh, poor monetary policy of the Federal Reserve, something that a later Federal Reserve chairman, Ben Bernanke, uh, just 20 years ago actually admitted. He said, yeah, uh, we, we caused it. We won't do it again. Um, he blamed the, uh, the very institution he was running for the Great Depression. Um, and then uh, what, was, uh, what followed the monetary problems that caused the Depression were all kinds of interventions by uh, first President Hoover and then President Roosevelt that kept us in Depression for another decade. Uh, all kinds of um, intrusions like the, uh, raising taxes to a high of 91 wow. percent. Um, uh, Roosevelt even tried to get a 100 percent tax rate on all incomes over $25,000. Um, he didn't get it, uh, but uh, that's the kind of environment in which uh, investors in the 1930s said, forget this, we'll go someplace else. Uh, this guy wants us to take all the risk and he takes all the money, forget it. Uh, but that's a side of the Great Depression that is rarely taught in schools these days. A couple of other books I want to get to before we go. We've got about five minutes left. Uh, one of them that intrigued me just by the title, I haven't read it, but I, I think I might. It's called Are We Good Enough for Liberty? What does that mean? Yeah, this is uh, one that I, if there's one book I've written that I'd like to have in more people's hands than any other, it would be that one. Because that book explains the connection between liberty and character. Uh, I, I think they're two sides of the same coin. You cannot be free if you are not a people of solid character. And I don't know of a single country or civilization in all of history that lost its character and kept its liberties. And by character, I mean things like honesty. I mean uh, personal humility, recognizing you don't know everything in the world. So, you know, learning what you need to be a, a good person yourself is probably a full-time job, let alone trying to run somebody else's life. Right. Uh, also, patience, gratitude, courage. Uh, it talks about those virtues that I think are indispensable uh, to uh, a free society. That, that that scares me a little bit, Larry, because I feel like we're losing our character a little bit here in this country. Even in this time, we've had a kind of a big flap over drag shows, uh, you know, where uh, letting ki kids be exposed to some of the drag shows here in St. George. To me, that's nothing more than a loss of character. Enough people, enough people who know what's right and wrong, but are not standing up and saying this is wrong. Exactly right. Uh, everywhere I speak, no matter what uh, topic I speak on, I usually get a question like, uh, what do you think the number one issue in the, in the country is? And I always say, uh, it's the same as it's always been and the same as it's always been everywhere, not just in America, and that is character, because everything flows from it. If you don't fix that, if you don't get character right, uh, almost nothing else is going to make, it make any difference. It is, uh, let's see, 9.56, uh, the book uh, that kind of first piqued my interest, first actually introduced me to Larry Reed, Lawrence W. Reed, is Real Heroes, Inspiring, inspiring True Stories of Courage, Character, and Conviction. That's on Amazon. You can get it right now. I think it's pretty cheap on Kindle. Uh, it's in paperback for 18 bucks. It's, uh, it's a book that uh, I think is a great book for today's uh, time where we're so worried about uh, well, social media and the lies and deception and, and uh, anger on the other side of the coin. We, we need some real heroes. Uh, Larry, first of all, thanks for writing that book. Was it, uh, uh, was, was it, was it good for you? Did it, did it bring, maybe you learned some things as a historian and economist and a writer uh, in creating this book? Oh, I sure did. I mean, I, I entered the whole project with uh, a few names in mind that I knew I wanted to write about, but along the way, 
sometimes in researching uh, those very people, I'd come across uh, a reference to someone else that intrigued me and then discovered that, uh, wow, they deserve a chapter two. And probably the best example of that is uh, the chapter on Vitold Pilecki, okay. bravest, most courageous person I think I've ever run across. He was Polish. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, the only person we know who ever volunteered to get arrested by the Germans in the hope he'd be sent to Auschwitz uh, so he could somehow create an underground resistance inside that concentration camp. And he did. Wow. Um, just a remarkable uh, man. And after the war, he, was, uh, he spied on the Soviets for two years uh, to, to, to get uh, the word out about their intentions uh, to, to uh, hold on to Poland and not withdraw. And he lived through Auschwitz. That's amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah, almost three years. Uh, okay, a couple of others. We've got a minute and a half left. Who's John Wilkes? John Wilkes was a great uh, British uh, member of Parliament, a great friend of America back in the 1770s. Uh, as King George was taking us towards war uh, with the mother country, John Wilkes was back there in Parliament attacking King George, saying, this is nonsense. We... <laughs> We'd, we should not be uh, taxing the Americans be, when they don't have representation in our parliament. Um, so he's very popular here, but not with King George, and not with the parliament for a time either. He, I think he's the only person ever to be, uh, to, for parliament to fail to seat in three successive elections that were only a month apart. Hmm. He won one election. And uh, the Parliament said, no, we don't like you. We're not going to seat you. A month later, they had another election. He won that one. They still said no. <laughs> and a third one a month later. Wow. Uh, so they uh, didn't like the guy, but uh, I think he's a hero. Uh, you can't keep a good man down. All right, one more. we got 30 seconds. If you can maybe just tell us who Fanny Crosby is. Fanny Crosby, wow. Uh, barely 100 years ago, she was the most revered woman in America. Uh, she set the record for writing the more lyrics to more songs, in her case mostly hymns, than any other person in human history. She met 21 American presidents, more than, as far as we know, any other man or woman in our country's history. Wow. And she was completely blind from the age of six months. Incredible story. Great stories can be found on Real Heroes. Go to Amazon and order the book today. Lar- Lawrence W. Reed. Larry Reed, thank you, Larry, for coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you, Andy. We're out of time. I'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.